I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Today's show is a cracker, but before we get going, I want to tell you a little bit about the time that we're in right now. Because it's a wonderful time for you to pause, reflect a little bit, take stock and start to chart your journey of performance ahead for next year. And a big part of doing that, it's very timely, is to actually take a little look inside. And that's why we partner with Inside Tracker. By looking at your biometrics, we can assess the good, the bad, the ugly, but most importantly, the areas that you should focus on to improve your platform of health. And that is essential for you evolving your performance, whether you're chasing a world championships or simply looking to have better energy throughout the day. And so all you have to do, you don't need to be a purple patch athlete to participate. All you need to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purple patch. Go there, look at the sweetest services they offer, and it is your first step. Oh, and we also have a nice code for you. Purple Patch Pro 2.0. That's Purple Patch Pro 20. You get 20% off everything at the store. InsideTracker.com slash Purple Patch. All very simple. It's a great time of the year. And of course, you get trackable results because by doing multiple assessments over the course of your next year, you can ensure that you're staying on track and getting the most out of your hard work that you're investing. All right, enjoy today's show. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, we talk all about getting a new bike. It is the time of the year. The holidays are coming. The seasons of racing are ending and they start to emerge. And a lot of folks out there are thinking, maybe it's time for an upgrade either adding on to your favorite frame or, of course, buying a brand new bike. And I thought, you know what? This is a blizzard of confusion for so many athletes. And I see so many people going out and buying that pearly, beautiful, bright, shiny bike and end up getting frustrated because it's not the right bike for them. And so I asked Chris Soden from IOG Bike Fitting, our partners here, at the facility, Purple Patch Performance Center here in San Francisco, to join me. And I said, Chris, we understand and appreciate the value of bike fitting. What I want to do is have you on the show and get really granular. I want to give five key elements and tips to people that are contemplating or considering either upgrading their bike, maybe buying a brand new bike, or even thinking about getting a used bike. And how can they avoid many of the pitfalls and make sure that they're investing in the right place? I've got five questions for you, Chris. Will you come on the show? And of course, Chris, being the man of the year, said I would be delighted to. And what emerged out of this was a fantastic conversation, which I think you will find both very interesting, insightful, and really helpful if you're going on for a purchase. So who is Chris Soden? Well, Chris is one of a two-part team, Ivan O'Gorman, the founder, Chris, his partner at IOG Bike Fitting based out of Boulder, Colorado, one of the meccas of triathlon. But they are also 
the proud owners of their satellite suite here at the Purple Patch Performance Center in San Francisco. And so in person, you can work with Ivan or Chris, both in Boulder or, of course, here in San Francisco. They have worked with many of the world's greatest endurance athletes, countless Tour de France cyclists, Olympic champions, world champions in Ironman, and the list goes on and on. In fact, many fan favorites, Sam Long, Lionel Sanders, Flora Duffy, Chelsea Sodaro, Sam Appleton, and the list goes on. And it even includes me. Yes, I count Chris as my sidekick, my best supporter in everything that I do with bicycles because I'm not the smartest when it comes to that stuff. Anyway, what emerged today was a, I thought, fantastically interesting conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. We're going to strip out word of the week. We're not going to do Matt's newsings. We're going to dive right into the meat and potatoes. I give you Chris Soden, and it's all about buying a new bicycle or upgrading your current bike. I give you Barry, the meat and potatoes. All right, it is the meat and potatoes, and today, well, we've got some fine meat with us. <laughs> we are so lucky to be joined by Chris Soden of IOG Bike Fitting. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Matt, it is my pleasure as always, and I won't take that personally. <laughs> so um, for, for you guys listening that uh, that don't know either Chris uh, IOG or Ivan O'Gorman Bike Fitting originally, um, partners of Purple Patch, you guys are based in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, you also have, of course, your satellite office. We, you were just with us last week here at the Purple Patch Performance Center in San Francisco. So obviously a wonderful resource. Your accolades of who you have worked with and consulted with in the world of cycling and triathlon are longer than my arm. I'll just name a few. Obviously, a host of professional cyclists, including many that have gone to the Tour de France. Our most recent Ironman world champion, Chelsea Sodaro. Sam Appleton, Lionel Sanders, Sam Long, Flora Duffy, the Olympic gold medalist, uh, even Pat Romano, purple patch athlete and legendary status. And I will point out, as we'll probably get into a little bit today, little me. And so your your expertise at the very pointy end of the sport is extensive, but I think it's also important to work out. And, and one of the reasons that we really love partnering with you is your great expertise across people all the way down the scale to non-competitive people that are maybe just getting into bike riding. And I think that I can put words in your mouth maybe, but really helping people enjoy their bicycles more as much as it is just finding that nth of a degree and aerodynamic advantage. So uh, so you definitely work with the whole gamut of people that enjoy two wheels, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we continually talk about internally is how many, I think uh, a lot of us, a lot of us, fans of the sport, fans of these athletes, uh, we tend to put them on a pedestal and um, we assume they don't hurt or they don't have issues on the bike or they don't enjoy their saddle. And the, the matter is, I think people would be shocked at how many parallels there are to the standard athlete, just the, the person who's just trying to do this for fun. Last night, I had an online consult with a client who had uh, we had worked with on this existing bike. And unfortunately, it launched off the back of his car and broke into a bunch of pieces and here he is trying to have to go to the marketplace, find something new because he has races coming up. And the funny thing is, it's exactly the same protocol. Obviously, different different numbers, different um, kind of end goals, but but the result is the same. And I think that's one of the fun parts about it. And frankly, um, 
you know, we, we take it, we take it just, uh, just as seriously because our athletes do. They're, they're spending their hard earned money and time in a sport that, uh, that they love. And, and the least we can do is be attentive in that space. Absolutely. Well, what we wanted to do today is to take a little bit of an opportunity, not just rip apart bike fitting and talk about the process, et cetera. But it is the time where there are a host of folks that are really interested in navigating what, what I identify as an absolute minefield of purchasing a new bike. And I feel like as a coach, it's very, very easy for folks that are thinking about either upgrading components on their bike or going out and getting a brand new bike purchase, or as I'm going to ask you about later today, buying a used bike, that they get really drawn by the bright, shiny aspects of the components, looking for more speed, faster elements, what's the latest pro that's uh, that's the topic du jour riding and maybe I should just go and bike through that. And so I want to try and get really practical. And I thought about how is it best to structure this? So what I did is I came up with five questions for you. And, uh, and I've given you these five questions in advance so you can at least put a little bit of thinking to it. But off of these five questions, hopefully what we'll come out with is a really practical lens for people to be empowered to go and make smart decisions for themselves. So we're going to try and not stray too far outside of basically this focus today, which is purchasing a new bicycle. And under that, of course, upgrading components on your new bike as well. And uh, and so with that, are you fastening your seatbelt? Are you ready to, uh, to get cracking here? I'm buckled in, ready to go. Good man. All right. So, so let's start with... Um, with the first question, uh, types of bicycle. And, uh, and what I want to focus on here is, is someone listening getting the right bike for them? And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll try and provide a little bit of context here. As I mentioned in the introduction, I see so many folks that think, okay, it's time to upgrade, it's time to get a new bike. And they go to the websites, the magazines, or they look at what their favorite pro is riding and just think, that must be great for make it up Lionel Sanders, Jan Frodeno, Flora Duffy. That must be a great bike. I'm going to go and buy that. And with the advances that we've seen in the industry around technology, it has radically improved the quality of the bicycles. At the same time, it's radically increased complexity of these bicycles. And so for someone that's going out there and starting proverbially the shopping experience, what are some of the factors that the audience should consider so that they can filter the noise and identify maybe two or three options of bikes or bike brands that are maybe suitable for them? Yeah, it's a great question and really sits at the heart of what we want to do in this process. And I think you nailed it as, as much as possible. What I try to get people to do is to actually look internally. We all want to watch what athlete just want to race and what athlete is on some new fun product. But really at the end of the result, the make or break is to look internally and be honest with the riding that you're going to do honest with kind of what would make you want to ride more. As you know, as a coach, all of those things align. If you can get somebody on the right type of bicycle that, that not only fits them well, but is easily tailored for what they need, um, that's a win. That's any way about it. So I'd say first and foremost, you know, don't get, don't get enamored by the shiny new thing. Really try and think about what you want as an athlete, where you've come from. I always ask, it's the first question I ask people, what don't you like about your bike? What do you love about your bike? 
Because ultimately, when we buy new things, when we purchase new products, we're trying to solve problems. We're trying to solve things that perhaps we didn't like. And that really doesn't have anything to do with what athlete A rides. Because frankly, they're at a different level. They're sponsored. They have a different level of commitment. It's a tool to them. Um, they're not spending necessarily their hard-earned money on the bike. They're being given the bike. And I think in a funny way, it's it, I almost put more onus on um, the regular athlete because they are spending their hard-earned money on this thing. And so um, being a little bit selfish, being realizing that um, it is okay to make yourself the focal point of that discussion is a great starting point. And, and I see, let, let me sort of lead you to what I'm thinking here perhaps a little bit, and that's a couple of things that I see, and I'll, I'll get them both out there. Athletes, athletes purchasing a bike where their interactions with them uh, are just are not favorable. So maybe getting a bike that's really hard to navigate and handle in the wind or over rolling terrain, and they're, they're just not the right athletes suited to that. They're very different profile. Or on the second side of it, my second case study to ask you about in a way, is the athlete that purchases one of these new, and in parentheses, super bikes that are highly complex and then have absolutely no idea how to work on them, how to pack them, how to uh, unpack them and rebuild them at races, etc. And so end up running around with high stress because they've got these machines that are closer to a Formula One vehicle than they are to a bike that they can just get on and ride. So are, are those sort of considerations they should really think about? Absolutely. One of the, one of the best examples of that is in the tri-world. There are some bikes that are very easy to adjust position. So if you think about it from a fitter's perspective, we want to establish an excellent baseline position that works for the athlete, enables them to train, enables them to do the work that they want to get better. Um, there are some bikes where it's very easy to change the front end and just simply say, let's say we're trying to kind of experiment with being a little bit more aero, a little bit more aggressive in the front position. Well, that could be one bolt, loosen, retorque it, done. Another bike, it could be a series of spacers, a whole different bolt kit, a whole different mishmash of things. You have to make sure you don't cross thread things. You don't pinch wires. Those are very two different scenarios that oftentimes what we see is it's such a hassle that the athlete goes, you know what? I'm fine where I am. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to stay where I am and, and I'm not going to put that time in or I don't want to spend the cost. This bike is already more expensive than I thought it would be because I've had to change these parts out. So I think that's a big part in what we see all the way to what you mentioned. How do I put this in a, in a box? Oh, I didn't realize that this really needs a specific thing. This front end doesn't come apart. It's not like the older tri bikes where it's a traditional stem and just I remove a faceplate and tuck some things in and, and I'm good to go in my bag. So a lot of the bikes, as they have become more and more specialized, we need to really look at the entire picture so that there isn't frustration, there isn't showing up to a race with missing parts or things that are stripped or wires that are pinched. And I think that's a, a lot of times part of the expertise that is so vital and maybe doesn't happen at the, at the traditional bike shop level, um, particularly in triathlon, where that might be a segment or a small wedge of a piece of a piece that that a particular shop does. So I'm going to ask you about triathlon shops a little later, but but it, it kicks me into actually a second question here. And, and this is a stat that I heard the other day that was surprising at the start when I heard it, but, uh, but then I, I started to think about the context behind it. And this is direct to consumer. There are some fabulous bike companies that, that produce very, very good bikes and they've built their models around direct to consumer. But I heard that 30% of purchasers 
uh, or purchases are returned. And I started to think about that because the, the bikes themselves are good quality bikes. And yet one in three are returned to the, uh, the production facility. So I'm assuming that that is either a sizing issue of, of the frame or, as I thought more about it, component choice such as length of stem, crank length, etc. The extended setup, if you want to call it that. Do you need advice on, on that element or your perspective on that direct consumer side of things? Yeah, it's a fascinating stat. And I think what it really brings home is to the consumer that's coming to the marketplace that maybe isn't as experienced or the customer that's buying their first triathlon bike, uh, again, maybe not experienced in that realm that they may be very competent in other types of bikes over the years. Um, there is this funny kind of, if you remove the bike shop, if you remove any sort of impetus, you get this thing, you go for a couple of rides, you don't like the saddle, it, it hurts your back, your neck is sore. Mm -hmm. It's easy to assume that it must be the wrong fit. It must not be the right bike. And what's happening in those windows is the bikes probably aren't getting tailored. You know, a lot of times we think about, we get asked all the time, like, does this bike fit? And that's such a big, broad, generic question. You know, will I like this meal? Well, you may like elements of it. You may like parts of it. Um, generally, in those direct-to-consumer models, the frame size very rarely is the issue. It can be. We have seen that, um, particularly as companies struggle to try to give good feedback uh, without kind of direct-to-consumer uh, direct um, input about what's the right size. But really, at the end of the day, it's the touch points of the bike. If they're not set in the right position, if the saddle isn't suitable, if it's not in a good position, um, the client is left thinking, gosh, I just spent a lot of money and I have that 30 days ticking where I can return this. Maybe I'm just going to send it back. And it's really causing kind of a, a, a bit of a, a bit of an issue because I don't think direct to consumer brands have really prepared or expected that. Um, and it just kind of shows you at the end of the day, what is really the make or break of whether a bike truly fits you well. And so much of that is the tailoring. Um, every bike manufacturer is different. They come up with different sizes. They have a different nomenclature. Mm -hmm. Very confusing. It's confusing for us, and I've been doing it for 30 years. I mean, you, you have to continually reestablish, reaffirm, check your numbers, double-check things, and, and that's for somebody who does it all the time. You know, as you, as you go through that, <laughs> it's confusing for, for, for you. For you, it's uh, As a consumer, it was really consuming, uh, confusing for me as well. And, in fact, as, you know, you go through it. I had, as you will know, a, a personal experience with this because I did direct consumer from uh, Deer at Ventum, great bike. Uh, I got an NS1 Ventum bike. It, it was fabulous. But I set it up with you. And, and when I went outside and started training for the crazy big bike ride that I did, the Alt Route last summer, I never felt like I was a part of the bicycle. It always felt slightly wrong. And I was just, I kept looking at the frame thinking, oh, is the head tube too tall? And, and, and of course it, the bike came with this integrated handlebar setup that looked very, very pretty. But ultimately I thought, I really like this bike, but it isn't quite me. And then we decided to strip it all down, ultimately go and purchase a different front end setup that was a bit more pragmatic, a longer stemming in my case. And it went from, yeah, I like it to, this is the nicest bike I've ever ridden. I just absolutely love it. And of course, went on and had a fabulous experience all the way through the training in the route, et cetera. 
but that was a relatively expensive, like several hundred dollars mistake almost. And, uh, and I went from pretty to quite pretty, but from not quite fitting to absolutely being perfect and allowing my interactions, my confidence, my focus was all outside and I just, it was a joy to ride. So having that up front, just getting the right equipment around the frame that didn't change at all was 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 such a catalyst for me to to feel better, but also a frustration in the process, I would say. Yeah, and and you're lucky in that you you stuck with it, right? And you had the resources to know that hey, I, you know most of this is solid. It maybe it needs some editing, some tweaking. I think that's one of the the big things that we see from consumers. They either um, probably because they're not quite 100% sure they might give up a little too quickly. Um, the, the other thing that happens, I think about this all the time, you give somebody 30 days to return something, you know, what happens if your transmission goes on your car? What happens if you have some big expense that you didn't foresee? So there's always like elements of that. But I think one of the things that I, if there's one thing I could change in my career, it would be getting athletes and consumers to care more about the end result. We tend to get People just say, oh, I'm not that serious. I'm not. I'm not doing the art route like Matt Dixon is. I'm just getting out there having fun with my friends. And I think it's important to think about the expenditure, what the expectation of the expenditure should be. Um, I think those are really important elements. Next time you go to a restaurant, walk in and say, I'm not that hungry and I don't have a palate. Like you're not going to, you're setting a standard of which you're not going to get what you deserve. And I think regardless of the level of athlete, Treat yourself the right way. Give yourself the room to experience what is possible. All that can happen is you'll ride your bike more, you'll enjoy it more. You won't have those extra ancillary purchases that can be frustrating. Some people enjoy that space, but generally, I'd rather be riding my bike having a good time. I think that what what we talk about there, I mean, people, there are folks that go out and spend a lot of money, but then suffer through a bike that ultimately, whether it's saddle choice, whether it's uh, front end, whether it's crankleg, whatever it might be, they ultimately can't fall in love with that bike. They spent the money, so they sort of kid themselves that they love it, but they don't. On the flip side, my experience where I had a bike and fundamentally, I was very, very lucky because I had you right on hand, like partnering, and I just, what do I do, Chris? And you, and you helped me navigate it through and having a resource and actually saying, you know, but, paying for the resources and give me the best advice here. But what it what it was a catalyst for me, and, and you mentioned this, I got to actually really enjoy riding my bike. I wasn't thinking about my back and riding 800 kilometers through the Alps, those elements just didn't show up for me, the pain, the suffering. I could actually look at the terrain, focus on my effort, challenge myself based on my training. And, and so the enjoyment factor, I wanted to ride my bike and it was a small change. It was just this much length, a little wider handle, boom, boom, boom. But it was critical, and I think that's important. Which leads me into, into my third question, in a way, <clears throat> because we've talked about <laughs> it is an expensive endeavor. You know, we see where you were talking before we started recording about $20,000 bikes plus. Uh, and for folks that are listening that aren't necessarily in the world of buying bikes but are interested, in, you, you'll be amazed. It, sometimes it can be like purchasing a car, so it is expensive. Do you have any advice on the athlete that wants to save dollars? And uh, and what what this question is around is where in purchasing a bike is it good to or worthwhile spending maybe a little bit more, getting the highest end equipment that you can? Where is it a good investment for your return? 
And where are the elements of buying a bike where maybe it's a good place to try and save money, where it's not worth going to the very top end premium side of the the bike ride? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, as many things in life, audio equipment, cooking gear, whatever it is, um, you get to a point where you start spending cubic dollars for kind of marginal gains. And for some athletes, those marginal gains are the make or break. Um, and But I think for most consumers, I like to break it down this way. The frame ultimately is going to set the foundation for our fit, going to set the foundation for the ride quality of the bike. So that's probably the most important element to look at. After that, I would say the components, getting a good level component that work the way we want it to, that isn't frustrating, um, that that is up to the use that we're going to use. I'll, I'll give you a great example. They don't really make entry-level triathlon bikes anymore because there isn't a triathlete buying a bike who doesn't have a program, a coach, a, a race that they're training to do. There's no such thing as an entry-level endeavor in that sport. You've, cho- you've chosen to climb this mountain. Here's what's needed. And that's a great example. If you hand somebody an entry-level bike in that fourth end, it's not going to last. It's not going to hold up. It's going to fall apart, be basically coming to pieces at the time you're ready to race. Mm-hmm. So components are, are some of the best ways to just make sure it's appropriate for the use, that it holds up, it can be adjusted. Um, for most people, that's going to be probably a 105 DI2, anything north of that, Altegra, um, SRAM Force. Those are kind of the sweet spots, Rival. The, the matter is the components have gotten so good. And with the introduction of so much electric equipment, it just works better. It stays in adjustment longer. Um, I'd say if there's a place that people can, can pull back a little bit, it's probably wheels. Now I say that basically saying that wheels are probably more important than components in terms of speed and ride characteristics, but it's the easiest thing down the road to upgrade. So you can monitor those costs over time. You can amateurize that investment. And you can just ride something now. Upgrading an entire group of components really isn't practical. There's extra labor involved, um, matching parts. So I think just doing a set of wheels down the road is is fantastic. And, you know, frankly, put your money into the contact points of the bike. Spend money on a good quality saddle. Spend money on good quality shoes and pedals. Those are the interface points where you're going to touch the bike. And so it's you don't really want to, um, upgrade into some fancy rear derailleur and then skimp on the saddle or try to ride the stock saddle that came with it because you don't want to spend any more money on it. That's fraught with just kind of pushing your eggs into the wrong baskets. Not being an expert, uh, you mentioned saddle there, uh, and not being an expert, I'm a coach, but I observe and have obviously interactions with a wide, wide range. Saddle choice it's so important. I see so many people suffering through poor saddle choice. It's would you would you concur that that is just such a critical element to get right for you? Yeah, I, I'll I'll break the news here on your podcast. It is easily fifty to sixty percent of your bike fit. I mean, you can fidget with everything else if you don't have your saddle dialed in. If your saddle isn't a seven or an eight out of a one to ten scale. Frankly, you're you're just going to be spinning your wheels, um, mm-hmm. and and one of the challenges of saddle fitting is it's very difficult for most people to a it's costly, right? It, it's a very costly thing to have to go buy a new saddle when you're not sure. B the chances that you're going to be able to get it in the correct position to be able to accurately audit it also creates another variable. 
we see this time and time again. A common phrase we hear, oh, I tried ISM saddles, I don't like them. That was six years ago. Totally different lineup of saddles, totally different shapes. ISM may have 45 saddles in their catalog. So if you tried one and you didn't like it, um, and you've kind of said, well, I don't like ISM saddles, you, you're really just kind of pushing off a whole category that could be the, the wonderful saddle that is waiting to find its home. And so there's a ton that goes into it and having, having some guidance, some expertise. You know, when we're working with clients in the studio, it's oftentimes we call it kind of uh, saddle dating, right? It's, it's, and it's amazing. It's so funny. Like clients will literally get one arm in an arm pad and go, no, no, <laughs> that's not going to work. You know, we joke about it, right? In a dating context, that's the, you know, the person who sits down with, uh, you know, smoking and, and has a mullet. Um, no offense, Ivan. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just can be such an instantaneous thing. Like, nope, there's no way that saddle works. And then also you, you put the right saddle underneath somebody and it's a bit of a eureka moment. Oh, I can, ooh, boy, I'm not thinking about my back anymore. I can extend into position. Oh, now I have the opportunity to change the front position. So really saddle is, is important. I encourage everybody while it might be expensive and frustrating, it is the one fight worth fighting. That's uh, it's a great point, and uh, for you guys that didn't catch the uh, the joke there, Ivan Ivan O'Gorman, the founder, he has a fantastic mullet. He really does. World class. It's worth it's, it's worth us highlighting that one hundred percent. All right, it's a it's a ten out it's a ten out of ten. It's a ten out of ten. There you go. Speed. Uh, so I want I want to transition on because we do have listeners that uh, that are focused on. I don't care. I'm going to throw money at the problem. What I want is the best speed return. So in similar vein of question, but where are athletes going to get their best return on investment? We can talk about fit. Obviously, we can talk about fitness where that's where most speed comes from. You know, new bike, same old engine and all of that. But when we dial it down to equipment, what are two or three of the elements that you say, yes, that is a good speed return that you're going to get investment where, where are the elements that they should consider putting in some money? Yeah, I would say, uh, especially in a triathlon context, uh, some sort of aero helmet. Uh, now, that is predicated on the aero helmet being positioned correctly and, and integrating into the posture of the athlete. So, as always, these discussions don't ever stray far from a good proper bike fit. I mean, 70% of your drag coefficient is going to be your body. And huge gains can be made there with subtle um, repositioning. So we don't want to, as, as you haven't, we don't want to lose context of that. But I would say an aero helmet, um, almost invaluable, right? Just in terms of it's kind of found watts. It does it does the job of smoothing out the airflow up over the athlete, creating less turbulence, um, less dirty air uh, behind the athlete. Um, after that, wheels, obviously. And with wheels, I would say that it's also, again, we have to go back to that. We have to be honest with the, the athlete that we're talking about, right? Somebody who is averaging 18, 19, 20 miles an hour needs a slightly different wheel than somebody who is averaging 25, 26, 27 mm -hmm. um, at the pointy end of the spear. So, and the reality is from an aerodynamic standpoint, the faster the athlete is capable of going, the better the opportunity to take advantage of the aerodynamics involved. And so one, it's a great thing to aspire to. It's also very important to make sure that we're positioning that athlete in a, in a spot to to succeed. And we have to balance all of the racing that they're doing, all the different events that they may do, um, that where they are now as an athlete, where they're going, all of those things become really, really fun, which is why there's no, 
oh, always do this or always do that. But I would say weight, uh, weight in the wheels, the aerodynamic profile, the ability to run a proper tire and tire pressure, all of those things are super crucial. After that, I always go to drivetrain resistance, anything we can do to reduce friction. So we enter the world of oversized pulleys, um, reducing the angle that the chain sits at. We, we deal with better quality lubes, race day lubes for chains, decreasing drivetrain friction. Just frankly, keeping your, your clean, uh, your chain clean and your drivetrain in good, in good condition. Um, you know, as always, we see so many different things. Oh, it was right before a race. I changed my chain. I didn't have a chance to test ride the bike. My gears were popping the whole race. There's so much low hanging fruit for athletes to just kind of manage some of the basic things that will make their riding way more enjoyable, far less stress-free. Um, and, but those are kind of the three categories that I would say, if you're, if you're getting after it, those are three great fulcrum points. The one thing I would say too, about anything kind of ceramic bearings, you want to do them more globally. You don't just want to do a bottom bracket. You want to do a bottom bracket and some pulley wheels and make sure your the, the bearings in your wheels are up to snuff because otherwise you're just kind of, you're changing or upgrading one wheel on the four on your car. It's the other three are going to hold it down. That that makes sense. The other thing that I would add on the on the wheel choice, that front wheel, I see many people riding a wheel that's very deep profile. And then as soon as they go into conditions where they've got a crosswind or something like that, they're, they're not comfortable in the wind and any aerodynamic advantage or supposed advantage is mitigated by them coming out of aero position and being very tense on the bike. So are you actually yeah. someone that can actually make use of potential advantage rather than uh, just thinking about what the, the magazines say, as it were? Um, and that's a great point, man. One thing it makes me think of is the proportionality of bikes. There are bike brands that have a very cool aerodynamic profile, but the reality is in the small or extra small, it's way too punitive for that athlete. You take the smallest athlete with the lowest body weight and put them on this sale and put them in conditions. And so you read a forum and you go, wow, this bike's really aero. It's great. But the context is lost and, and the suitability of that exact person. Um, that's kind of the minute kind of granular level that's important to think about as an athlete. That's great. Um, it sort of makes me think of an analogy sometimes of, uh, of walking blind into a bike shop and just buying the prettiest bike on the wall is a little bit like saying, I, I want to move to New York, so I'm going to buy an apartment and just going to buy one without even, even looking at the pictures online, let alone going to do a house tour. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so what about used bikes, uh, pros and cons? Uh, what, you know, any advice for folks? It, there's a big market, a big secondary market out there. Are there, there pros and cons or any advice for folks that might consider buying a, a bike that's been used by someone else or owned by someone else prior? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. We get asked all the time, uh, what about the used market? The things that are important to remember about the used market, first and foremost, we are purchasing somebody else's tailored bike. So right off the bat, we're not buying the thing that we had the chance to buy new. We're buying this thing that's been altered, changed, edited. And so, again, we go back to that big check mark, like, does this bike fit me? And my question is always, does this bike allow proper bike fit. I just had a case the other day where somebody bought a used bike from a, literally that was a professional UCI bike. So the fork was cut all the way down to where no spacers are left. So now all we can do to edit that front end is use stems that are very upright, shorter, longer. And so right off the bat, 
is it the right frame? Absolutely. Did a great job in that. But the editing of the front end is now so severely limited that we run the risk that we can't get it in an optimal position. His choice, he can go to the market, he can replace the fork. That's $450, $500. So you have to edit all of those things into your decision. Um, you're not getting any sort of warranty. Um, so you're kind of on your own in terms of maintenance. I would, like any due diligence, have your mechanic check the bike over. Some places like the Pro's Plaza are doing a really nice job of kind of flowing the bikes through um, what they call kind of an accredited program previously owned. Um, so there's kind of a guarantee of a certain level of components and, and warrant components are edited and changed. Um, but we always have to remember in those scenarios, right? They're, they're a business. They have to make smart decisions. Um, and at the end of the day, the upside is obviously you can you can spend pennies on the dollar. Um, I think with COVID, um, the used bike market somewhat exploded and we were seeing bikes used that were only four or $500 less than a new one mm-hmm. because you couldn't get the new one. So I think that's starting to recalibrate and that's starting to recede a little bit. So I still think there's a lot of value in used bikes, but generally the the key elements are you want to make sure that it hasn't been too edited or too tailored in a direction that's not going to work for you because then your range of adjustments is going to be limited. And you could just factor in some ancillary costs after the fact, having it fit, um, having some products changed out, um, really no different than what you would do in a new bike scenario. But um, used bikes, it's, it's a great, it's a great way to see. Also, just pay attention to the age of the bike. We, you know, when you look at windows, I would say anybody looking at a used bike, I would try to keep them in a two to three year window. That's going to be the most up to date relative to the current marketplace. You go much beyond that. Well, Shimano's just pivoted into 12 speed across the board on most of their higher end and reasonable kind of groupos. So anything three, four, five years old is now going to be 11 speed. It's not entirely punitive. You can still get parts for them. There's nothing wrong with that. But just like you wouldn't probably go to your Apple store and ask for an iPhone 7, you know, like there is a sense of progress and there is a sense of getting kind of the latest, greatest long term, making sure that you have what's needed. So all of the information you provided there, which is so valuable and, and fantastic, it if I can, I'm just going to grab on, hold on to you for for a couple of minutes more because I I want to talk about the fitting process and uh, and what yourself and Ivan and the team at IOG Bike Fitting uh, do in many ways. And and the reason for this is that I think I got a little bit of an education or a, or an epiphany when we partnered and uh, and opened up the center in uh, in San Francisco. You guys are obviously such an important part and partner of us now. But I started day to day seeing you guys interact with many purple patch athletes, athletes coming in from inside. And my perception of how I view the fitting process has really evolved. And I started to realize, hang on, it's not just special me where I think, oh, I'm going to buy a new gravel bike. Chris, what shall I get? And you really help me curate. I realized that that's actually what you guys do. And uh, and I might get this wrong, you could, you could, but the way that I – the way that I originally perceived bike fitting was someone takes a bike that they have purchased, goes to go and see Chris, who sets it up and gets their points in space right, taps them on the, the, the well, I won't say taps them on the butt, but gives them a high five on the way out and off you go and you go and enjoy the bike. But in, in really ways, I sort of identify in, in sort of three things that I see you consistently doing, which is, yes, the for lack of a better phrase, the numbers, but then the sort of 
real consultation process, something that you've done with me multiple times, but but also with ethics of really much of what we talked about today. Here's the frame, but what else should we be considering? Putting everything in context for you and that cons- consultation process. And there's something that I had no idea. And I'm not sure if you want me to talk about this or not, but the actually helping athletes go out and curate and uh, and knowing that you're brand agnostic, saying this is the right bike. And not only that, we can go and get it for you and build it for you and deliver it to you and set it up for you based on the original process. And so those sort of three elements of, yes, the points in space, but also the consultation and even sometimes the curation or giving them the information to go to their bike shop and saying, this is what you want so that we can circumnavigate so many of the the pitfalls that that we talked about today. Because I came out today and I was like, the consultation and getting it right is more important than the actual purchase of the bike fit. Is that a fair representation of, of what you do and what's available for people? Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, we try to offer a, a diverse menu of services and our new bike fit really is an attempt to do that. It really is. We use an adjustable bike so that we can come up with a really good solid starting position and what that position does is it enables us to go to the marketplace and basically answer that first question, right? Does this bike allow me to um, get a great fit? We also want to be honest and realistic in that, that you, an athlete is always, most athletes are always striving. I want to be a little faster. I want to be a little better at this big event coming up. I think one of the things that IOG has done incredibly well is we have really spoken to an element of that bike fit isn't just this very special thing that you do once every five years and yes, yeah. it's expensive, it, that it is more of a relationship and that we want to be available. We want to be in a consultative role. We want, I would rather a client ping me, uh, even though I might be super busy, I'd rather them ping me and ask my advice on should I get this set of wheels than have me see them in six months and go, oh, why did you get this set of wheels and have them go, oh yeah, what a mistake. Just, I shouldn't have bought them. And mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, that's such a, a key a key role. What happened at IOG is is frankly pretty fun and pretty special. Um, I think we've established ourselves in the fitting community and in the bicycle community enough to the point where vendors started asking us, "Well, can we just can we give you access to our bikes?" Because I think they knew that the outcome for their end consumer was going to be wonderful. And at the end of the day, like yeah, we all have to remember that like. They, they do a great job of presenting a wonderful bike. But as you know, in your own personal experience, the make or bake between like, I like this bike and I love this bike can be the little subtle details that are in there. And so when presented with that opportunity, we said, sure, you know, we're not a bike shop, but we, if we have access to product, if we can help our clients by simply being that kind of executor of everything that we've done in this process. And frankly, too, there have been times where it's been frustrating for us to take the time, to take the effort, to literally write the menu out, hand it to your athlete and who then hands it to their bike shop. And it kind of doesn't get really fully done the way we want. You know, oh, I know it said change the crank arms, but these are close enough. Yeah. And it, and it's not it's not an indictment of, of what's happening. But I think I think COVID really kind of brought to the brought to the forefront. Um, what bike shops are great at is just taking orders, right? They're just, hey, you want this? Great. Awesome. Fries with that. Excellent. Awesome. We have it. It's here. Visa MasterCard. Boom. They really, they more and more, most bike shops don't really want to do that kind of deeper level, deeper dive work because it takes time. It takes time, resources. It takes a staff member pulled away from the busy um, fray of the sales floor 
to spend two hours with an athlete. And so for us, I think we, we, it's a series of our business that we wanted to really activate. I think we're in the process of, of more outwardly kind of promoting it, but it's, it goes without saying, and this is something that Ivan and I talk about all the time. It, it, there, there's not enough. We are still, we can be whatever our client wants us to be. We can be an agnostic consultant. Um, we don't really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to us whether we sell the bike or not. We do it because it serves our client and it serves um, the clients of Purple Patch. That really, at the end of the day, if we can, if we can add value in that space, we're happy to do it. It's not imperative for us to do that. So we really try to hone in on that. So if somebody wants to go out to the marketplace and buy a bunch of other products or products that we may not have access to, 100%. We're still there to kind of do our job and make sure that they're making the best decision and help them navigate. Um, I just had somebody in San Francisco and one of the first, they had bought a trek from a local dealer there. And I said, oh, we really need like this change, this change, and this change. I want you to go back. They were content to just kind of go buy the stuff. And I said, really go back, go back to the shop, ask them. The worst I can say is no. And sure enough, the shop was great. Oh, sure. We'll change out that crank arm. We'll change that whole front end. We'll put a longer wire in. Like that's a huge win for us. And it doesn't change one penny of revenue that flows our way. But in our world, that's such a huge win because yeah. we acted as an advocate for our client. And um, so, yes, we are we are activating some more channels there. And uh, it's super fun because we're not a bike shop. We outsource all of our builds to professional mechanics. Um, we have a very kind of we we want to stay in our lane and, and, and uh, focus in on what we do really, really well. And uh, but it's an exciting new thing that, that we're uh, starting to more actively pursue. Yeah. And I, what, what, one thing you said there that I think is really authentic as well is that it, it doesn't matter to you guys, because I, I know that some listeners are very, very loyal to their bike shop. And and that's great. And, and if you have great loyalty, it's super. What In that case, your role is to really support them or provide them with the information to help them go their arm to make sure they're getting the right thing for them, of which then you can help them align. And it becomes sort of almost like a team and a collaboration component, which is also valuable. So, yeah, I think that's very, very valuable. Now, I know that some people will be listening. So this is my last thing I want to go over with you. Some people will be listening thinking, this sounds terrific, but goodness me, Boulder, Colorado, it's a long way away. San Francisco, California with Purple Patch. When are they coming yeah. here? But goodness me, I live in Singapore. I live in London. I live in, you know, San Diego. It's just too far for me. And one of the things that many purple patch athletes leverage is the OCA, as you call it, the online consultation, where uh, being able to review someone, someone's fit and setup, but also that consultive process, and even to the nth degree of going through the curation side of it, is actually really va valuable. And, and I know that the online consultation that emerged out of necessity in COVID, but now has become a really valuable resource for you, similar to us coaching. It's wonderful if I get to coach someone in person in my bike session, but I also coach people that are in Denmark and Colombia and, and Singapore, et cetera, live and on demand via our remote coaching. You guys have sort of managed to set up a system that I think has been a, a journey of learning, but also a journey of evolved effectiveness to, to really help people be able to tie into your expertise from anywhere in the world. Can you just, can you just talk about that a little bit? Cause I find that fascinating. Yeah, we, um, when COVID hit, you know, we were, our bike shop or our fitting studio um, was basically deemed, you know, we weren't considered essential. 
because we didn't do repairs. And so we basically had to shut down. And, you know, it caused us to kind of think about outside the box a little bit about, well, is there an opportunity to do these consults? Is there an opportunity to, to help people um, in a broader reach? And I think, you know, I think we're somewhere into like 250 of these. Um, it's crazy. Like I, w- I never would have, if you told me three years ago, like that would be the case. I'd say, ah, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> we've, we've been very, very surprised at what we've been able to do in that space. It's, it's not for everybody. Um, I think it's, it, it, us setting expectations about what it is and what it isn't is, is always important. I think we've like many things, um, our our esteemed leader he he does a great job of kind of reminding all of us that the focal point and really the main thing is the the end result so it, it started as an hour service where i've done everything from like talk to somebody about setup and wheels and helmets to um taking videos of them in their riding position and making some recommendations what it's evolved into is basically kind of similar to i think our general philosophy it is more relationship based and so it's probably an hour appointment, but really, realistically, it's probably two or three 20 to 30 minute appointments mm-hmm. that ultimately allow us to check back in with athletes and, and make sure that the, they're absorbing the changes really well. And in a funny way, it kind of speaks to the general thing that we talked about earlier, which is, I think the, the, if, if you were to ask me what's the main difference with IOG bike fitting, I think, I think it's a relationship based business. I don't think it's a fitting business. I think if it's a fitting business, then it feels like this thing that's really expensive and you go once and there's all this pressure to make all these huge changes because it's very expensive. That's not really the best protocol. I think the best protocol is to establish a great baseline position, have success, and then ask the question, okay, what can we do now? Where can mm-hmm. we go? And you know this from coaching, right? It's the same. I think it's one of the reasons the the, the relationship with IOG and Purple Patch is so strong is I think so many things that we do uh, align with each other from a core value standpoint, from a protocol standpoint, from a methodology. I've watched, I mean, how many athletes do I engage with that are your, your patch squatties? And they just love it. The amount of information they get, the amount of resources that's available to them in a very much more general format is huge. It's, it's gold. And yeah. I think we try to align with that same thing. So the online consult is really turned into a fun, um, a fun resource. Um, it can be anything from a consultive kind of phase. We've certainly helped people with new bikes. Um, we've certainly helped people as they've progressed into different products or asked about certain upgrades. And I think the, the end result for us has been just a continual affirmation that this, this information and this expertise is very, very valuable. It's very welcomed and we're happy to be a part of it. Super. Well, for you guys, uh, you guys in the audience, uh, I will say that if, um, if you do so, so firstly, before I say this, because that's going to sound way too promotional, and uh, and and that's not the focus. The focus is education. So, firstly, Chris, fantastic, and thank you. And I hope that you guys listening take the information that Chris provided there and and put it into. If you're thinking about upgrading equipment, you're thinking about maybe getting a used bike or a brand new shiny bike. I hope that it's really really helpful. Uh, I also uh, fully realize that many people listen and think, you know what, I really want to sort of activate a a relationship with IOG and uh, with Chris, with Ivan, the rest of his team. And if you do, I will say this, and uh, and that is that please, 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 on the filling out your form, if you go into Ingray, we're going to put in all of the links into the show notes of how how to get a hold of Chris and the team. But if you let them know that you are, uh, 
that you heard the information and the education through this show. And then I know that Chris is sure to send you or give you a, one of the wonderful coffee mugs that they have at IOG. Goodness me, I have two of them. They are fantastic branding. And if you get to visit us here in San Francisco or in Boulder, you will also get a lovely cup of coffee to go into that. And if you're here in the Bay Area, we, of course, will send you a purple patch goodie kit as well. So uh, there is high benefit. But joking aside, please, please, please do let Chris and the team know that you heard the information here on the podcast. It just helps us provide the context because then we know that you've heard the information and you've got eyes wide open as you go into into the fitting process, whether it's in person or, of course, on one of the online consultations. Chris, I'm going to ask our team to add all of the information into the show notes and uh, so folks can easily find you. But uh, but I really, really appreciate you spending the time and it was uh, it was fun, but it was also really insightful. Thanks so much and uh, and. See you next time. Sounds great, my friend. Guys, thanks so much for joining and thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the new format. You can never miss an episode by simply subscribing. Head to the Purple Patch channel of YouTube and you will find it there and you could subscribe. Of course, I'd like to ask you if you will subscribe. Also, share it with your friends and it's really helpful if you leave a nice positive review in the comments. Now, any questions that you have, let me know. Feel free to add a comment and I will try my best to respond and support you on your performance journey. And in fact, as we commence this video podcast experience, if you have any feedback at all, as mentioned earlier in the show, we would love your help in helping us to improve. Simply email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com or leave it in the comments of the show at the Purple Patch page and we will get you dialed in. We'd love constructive feedback. We are in a growth mindset, as we like to call it. And so feel free to share with your friends. But as I said, let's build this together. Let's make it something special. It's really fun. We're really trying hard to make it a special experience. And we want to welcome you into the Purple Patch community. With that, I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy. Have fun. Keep smiling, doing whatever you do. Take care.